Welcome to the putback on SNY.TV. I'm Ian Begley, SNY's NBA insider, and we've got a little first half wrap up for you here on the putback. We've got two great guests with us. New York Daily News is Christian Winfields covering the Knicks day in and day out. And Brendan Brown, three decades in the league, scout, assistant coach, broadcaster, knows the Knicks like a ba the back of his hand. So we're going to get started here soon with the baseline, but we want to let you know, get your questions in, and we want to answer those questions, whether it's YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you are. Be sure to leave some questions. We want to talk about it, but let's go with the baseline right now because the Knicks finished the quote-unquote first half of the season in fourth place. They are, I believe, four games behind the second-place team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I think a couple of games back of Milwaukee third place. Obviously, the uh, best place to finish in the East is top three because then you avoid the Boston Celtics in the second round of the postseason. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. The Knicks are the walking wounded right now. So we're going to get started with Christian. Christian, even with this four-game losing streak, for the Knicks as they come into the break. Uh, are you surprised with how the Knicks have performed up to this point? Uh, absolutely. When you consider OG Ananobi and Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson, and I could continue in terms of player who's who have not been in the rotation for this team to still be, you know, top four, when you consider they're only a half game above Philadelphia right now, uh, it's a big win for this team. And it's a big win when you consider they also got guys like Bojan Bogdanovic and Alec Burks that they have to integrate into the system. And they're getting a chance now to kind of figure things out. And then you have this all-star break coming up where you got guys who you're hoping are going to get healthy and be able to play meaningful minutes on the back end. Um, this is a big win for the Knicks. I know they were at the second seed at one point and you saw things starting to taper off. But when you're dealing with as many injuries as they have, of course, you're going to see some slippage there. Uh, when you come out of the all-star break and you got guys coming back to the lineup, I think this is going to be a team that nobody wants to see. Brendan, how about you? Surprised with where the Knicks are at the moment? Yeah, first of all, I'm happy to be on with Christian. Read your stuff all the time. Very exciting to be with you. Uh, the you. Knicks as where they are, okay, you do the 14-2 and two in January. And if you're really examining that, there were 10 subpar teams that they beat out of the 14. But when you look at the good teams, the good games, you beat Minnesota, you thrash Philadelphia, you thrash Denver, and then you beat handily, you know, a little bit of a messed up Miami team right now. You're four and two with Ananobi, with the group. And now we still haven't seen where the next two guys with Burks and Bogdanovich fit in. So you can't really judge the team right now until they get the nine guys back. And then when they get the nine guys back, because they're 22 and two against sub 500s, they're not going to play sub 500s in the playoffs. You're going to play good teams. So now you're going to use the measuring stick as Tibbs tries to figure out that nine man rotation. What are the best combinations? I'm happy with where they are, but in this very short period of time, you're talking about moving up and your five losses behind Cleveland and you're only three losses ahead of the play-in. And that's a little bit of a reality here until OG and Randall can get back. Brendan, you did say you're excited to be with Christian. You did not say you're excited to be with me. I am offended. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it past us for now, but we'll be talking about that later offline. That hurts. Uh, but just to get into where the Knicks are, I agree with you guys. I am uh, 
Christian said it, uh, with all the injuries and everything that this team has dealt with for them to be where they are, uh, I'm surprised by it. You know, I, I'm also surprised by the way they've competed. I shouldn't say surprised. I am impressed by the way they've competed in games where they've been shorthanded and they've been shorthanded a lot lately. But by and large, they have brought a competitive spirit to the floor that if they have that when they're healthy, I think will really put them in a good spot later in the regular season and into the playoffs. Obviously, it starts with Jalen Brunson. And, you know, Tom Thibodeau says it all the time. It sounds like a cliche. He'll say when guys are out, you know, we have enough to win. We have enough to compete uh, against anybody. But if you look at what happens on the court, it's a real thing. I mean, no matter who is out there, who is uh, on the, in the training table, uh, these guys compete. And so I think that speaks to the character of this team. And again, if and when they get fully healthy and they can maintain that daily approach, uh, I think it'll do. they'll do well later in this regular season and into the postseason. But let's get to Tom Thibodeau. Uh, Brendan, for you, how much credit are you giving Tom Thibodeau for where the Knicks are? What do you think about the job that he's done to date? The first thing I would say there is that uh, because this has been an in-season trade again, like we saw Derrick Rose three years ago. It was an in-season trade. Leon, his guys, Tom, his coaching staff. You're identifying the right guy to bring into the group. Like, who's the guy we exactly need? So that situation, OG coming here, the defense getting better, DiVincenzo, Hartenstein, they do a great job in the starting lineup. Like, all of a sudden, big things are happening. Now, as for the quote-unquote next man up, I hate that expression in sports only because the next man up who's coming in for the guy is not as good as the guy he's replacing but if you have good coaching you understand how you're supposed to play at both ends of the floor you see a mcbride come in a sims come in a chua got off to a really slow start the first like eight games and then they sat him down and try to say hey listen this is exactly how we want you to play that has been impressive when you're talking about being shorthanded, guys playing a ton of minutes, and then you know guys who are outside of your top nine be able to perform and help you win games. A lot of that has to do with coaching. Like the team can coach itself at a certain point in the season because you've practiced and guys watch during the games from the bench what's expected. Yeah, Christian, you know, when you're covering a team, you're around a coach all the time. You're asking them questions before a game, after a game at, at a practice, which that happens less and less in the league these days. But you just you spend a lot of time talking to a coach, asking questions, kind of seeing how he reacts to different situations. Uh, what are your thoughts on Thibodeau so far and, and how he's done? You know, what Brendan said, you know, at a certain point, a team can coach itself. Well, that's what the Nets thought. The Nets thought that they could coach themselves and Steve Nash was head coach, and that didn't go so well. To, so to go from there to a team that you're seeing, you know, Tibbs, you know, say what you want about him, but he has his method and he's going to coach guys hard. He's going to coach guys to play hard and give everything they've got. And it works. He's got his game plan. He wants guys to rebound. He wants them to play defense. He wants them to stick to the game plan, shoot threes, collapse the paint, spray out to the open shooter and make something happen. You know, I sound like him now. That's how many times I've asked him what his game plan is. I can tell you what I'm saying. 
Um, and that's kind of the mark of a good head coach. He wants his team to go out there and execute. I think Tibbs should be in the running for, for coach of the year because when you consider coming into the season, all the GMs or most of the GMs had the Knicks pegged at fifth, right? And now we're looking at a team that was as high as second has fallen to fourth because of injury. But second is still there within their grasp. I think a lot of it has to do with Tom Thibodeau. I don't think some of these players are playing above their means if it's not for a coach that demands more than the more out of them than they're accustomed to. So, uh, yeah, a lot of that I think goes on Tom Thibodeau and the job he's done. Christian, on the court, take, oh, go ahead, take Brandon. What the game gives you, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get possession. You have to complete the defensive possession. I'm learning all the, all the Tibbsisms, man. I don't, I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but here we are. <laughs> a lot of Tibbsisms. Um, so, Brendan, though, on the court, it obviously starts with Jalen Brunson. You know, for you, knowing him from Dallas, keeping an eye on him there, and then seeing him here. What's been the biggest difference in what you've seen on the floor uh, when you look at Brunson this year, maybe compared to uh, before he came into New York? Well, I watched a lot of Brunson in Dallas. I have friends that work for Dallas. And uh, the beginning of that playoff where Doncic is out and they start against Utah, and Brunson was absolutely terrific. And that propelled them to beating Utah in the first round because he had three really big games. I think you saw there that he could be something a little bit more than, hey, he's the third ball handler, third guard type of guy playing 25 minutes off the bench. Now, as for everyone who is now a revisionist genius and said they saw this all <laughs> along, okay, that's not true. Jalen Brunson is last year in Dallas shot 31% from three. Now, we talked about it before, shooting at that right slot. That's where he really prefers. He's over 40%, and he's doing it, you know, at a decent amount of volume, game by game. And by him extending the floor and being able to make that three, you know, it's the one crossover uh, to his right, and then it's off and gone, and he's making it at such a great rate. That opens up his game where he goes into Brunsonville, you know, from the – uh, front of the rim, up to about 10 feet in the lane. And he can operate and go in a lot of different directions. He can pivot, pivot. He can pivot, go back, bounce back, make a shot. So his versatility as an offensive player and the fact that he goes to the line six times a game, some Nick fans want it to be even more. Um, he's really something to see. And I measured it out about a month ago. He has the most efficient playoff games that's 20 points per game in a game when you shoot 50 percent or more he has 14 of those in his career he is ahead of Lillard he is ahead of Holiday he's ahead of other guys in that category in a very young part of his career so add up Dallas playoffs to Knicks playoffs last year uh he does it at a very efficient rate yeah, it's impressive. And I'll, I'll go two places with Brunson. I know we talk about the minutes a lot and is he going to be able to handle minutes night in and night out? And one thing that I've learned is Brunson kind of trains for this. Like he, he prepares his body for this, for big minutes, uh, for being able to night in and night out, bring it um, over the course of regular season and the postseason. So look, will it impact him? Uh, we'll see. Uh, we can't predict the future. But in terms of the load that he is taking on, I don't think it's it's something that he isn't prepared for. It does not prepare himself for. And then, you know, we always talk about 
stars and, and who's going to come here and, and whose team is it? Is it uh, Brunson a one or a one A? I don't think he cares about any of that stuff. Just spend a little bit of time around him. I don't think he cares if it's quote unquote his team or, or someone else's team. I think that he, uh, if they did bring in, you know, a, another big name player, he's, it's not going to be an issue with fitting in the locker room and, and kind of fitting in around Brunson. Not, Brunson is not going to make it an issue. That's just kind of the, the, uh, the way he operates and kind of how I see him operate day to day basis. I don't think there would be any issue there. So, you know, if you're a Nick fan and you're looking at this thing off the court and looking ahead, I think that has to leave you optimistic on Jalen. And then, you know, Christian, when you look at um, that that controversial ending on Monday, we're going to move to Monday, that Houston game. Uh, Knicks have any chance here to get this thing, uh, you know, back to Houston for an overtime period and, and maybe get a win? You, you, real quick, before we move on on, on Jalen, you know, the thing that yeah. impresses me most about him is kind of the story. He's not a six foot seven guard like LaMelo Ball. He's not jumping out of the gym like John Moran. He's not shooting 50 foot threes like stuff. He's, you know, maybe your height, Ian, right? And and he's out there going <laughs> and getting buckets. He's not flashy like Tyrese Halliburton, but he's relentless. He's a master with his footwork. Uh, and he just rises to the occasion every time any big moment meets him. And uh, anytime anyone has something to say about him, he's on a mission to prove otherwise. Uh, I, I don't think the Knicks could have a better floor general for the time that they're in right now. Moving on to Houston uh, and, and that controversial ending. I mean, I think we could all see that it wasn't a foul. I could see it wasn't a foul from from my couch where I was watching. I'm sure the fans in the building had a, had a better view of it. Um, I mean, could it get overturned? Sure. I mean, look at it. We, we, see, we see the play. He didn't foul him. The officials came out and said he didn't foul him. So I, I would assume. But here's the interesting part. A lot of the times these games get rescheduled way further down the line. So if the Knicks are, are healthy at that point, will they be able to then say, hey, let's throw OG and let's throw Julius into the game? I, I doubt the NBA would let them put players who are inactive uh, for that game now available when they run that game. But um, that would be interesting. That could be an important game because it's a loss right now. And depending on when they replay it, that half game could swing the Eastern Conference standards. It could be the difference between finishing fourth and fifth or fourth and third. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see which way it goes. Yeah, tight race. Go ahead, Brandon. Yeah, the interesting part about that is they do have a single game at San Antonio later in the schedule. So if you're going to be down in Texas, I don't know how the master schedule works, but there is a possibility there. Yeah, that would be uh, very interesting to see them just get on the court for an overtime. And uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Odds are against it, but I understand why the Knicks did protest. But let's go to injuries here because the Knicks, we said earlier, walking wounded, go into the break. Uh, with a lot of guys dealing with one thing or another. Well, let's start with Julius Randle because there's this, you know, two to three week time period. And I think right now we are at maybe the two week mark for him where he's doing rehab and he is kind of trying to see where he where he can go, what he can do after two to three weeks of rehab. And then he and the Knicks will reconvene and make a decision on whether he comes back during the season, uh, whether he, how much he can handle, whether he needs surgery and he's out for the year. Uh, but it, I've heard like during this period that there's been some positive uh, progression here and, and during the rehab. And, and, you know, I think that's left people with even more reason to be optimistic that Randall will be back at some point this season. I don't think, I don't know if they're out of the woods yet. 
um, but certainly the progress that he has made over the last couple of weeks during this rehab stretch you know, has, has left people excited about the possibility of him coming back. Christian, uh, OG and Anobi, can you tell us the latest on OG and where we are with him? Well, o- OG obviously had to get uh, a surgery on his right shooting elbow because of a, of a bone fragment that was loosened there. And, you know, I guess we're hoping to see him after the all-star break, but, but again, that's one of those situations where, you know, that can be tricky. That's his shooting elbow and you want him to have that in a good place moving forward. Uh, so I, I think we're the Knicks are in a space where they're going to let him, you know, kind of tell them when he's feeling good. And he has to have full confidence in that to be able to play at a high level. I mean, he's a guy who's going to space the floor, shoot a lot of threes uh, and, and just the style of play in terms of defending multiple positions. You can't be out there if your elbow isn't fully 100 percent. So uh, looking forward to seeing him after the All-Star break. How far after the All-Star break? I'm not sure. Hey, Brandon, from a coaching perspective, let's say these guys come back let's call it in the middle of March. How do you then implement, what's the challenge, I guess, in implementing those guys back onto the court with the the kind of a tight window between then and the postseason? How much is the coaching staff going to have to kind of juggle those elements once those guys do come back, assuming they do? Well, assuming Tibbs doesn't leave the practice facility, you know, during the All-Star break, I'm sure he's up at the board. (laughs) And writing out all the different, you know, lineup combinations that you can have. I don't think Nick fans, like 90% of them right now, understand what they got in the trade. You got Burks, who can play three different positions. You got Bogdanovich, who can play three different positions. He can play a two, three, and even backup four, small lineup four. You can do so many different things. You could play without a center and have Randall and Ananobi and Bogdanovich up front and go that way. Or you could go really big and put Bogdanovich at two and have the lineup the normal way. There are so many different things in different ways that Tom can go down the stretch of a game depending on how he feels about his group offensively and then how are you going to match up defensively. So you need Ananobi and Randall back to truly gauge this. And it would be great to get the nine-man rotation going, Burks, uh, Bogdanovich, Hart, and Achua off the bench. That's your nine guys. And, you know, McBride, Sims, they'd be spot players at this point. But the reality of it is you can go so many different ways. I would prefer if you can get away with not guarding a center, so you're not playing Philadelphia in that situation if Embiid's back, of taking the center out of the game. And then putting Bogdanovich at three, Ananobi at four, Randall at five. If you're worried about covering his center, let Ananobi guard the guy at five. Like, there's so many ways you can do this. I think whatever they come up with, even if it's relatively traditional, you need about 10 to 12 games to get that rotation the way you like it, who's playing in the second group from the starters, If there are three or four or five close games in those 12, that would be great. You test out what you want to run. You know, Knicks have been using Brunson a lot more off the ball lately, not as the point guard all the time. So how can you get that all together? I think you can do it in 12 games. So when are Ananobi and Randall coming back? Right. So there you go. We didn't even mention Mitchell Robinson, who also, you know, he's expected to get back on the court, resume on-court activities. After the All-Star break, he's got a long way to go, though. Uh, but, you know, if they get him back within that 
time frame, 10, 12 games to go before the postseason. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he can add as well. But, Brendan, you touched on those new additions, and we've had a few games here to, to keep an eye on them. Bogdanovich obviously missing that Orlando game uh, with, uh, with an ailment. But for you, you talked about how these guys might fit in. Christian, what I want to know from you, with the new guys, has anything stood out to you as you've spent a little time around them and watched what they've done on the floor? <laughs> Number one, uh, Bogdanovich's style. When we saw him walk in for the for, the, for his uh, first press conference, he was looking real sleek in that Louis V. I see, I see it, I see it. I know what he's wearing. Uh, but first of all, I, I think we saw, if I'm not mistaken, Tom Thibodeau play Bojan as like a small ball five for like two minutes. Uh, and granted, some of that was because they were really short. But you know, you know, that's an intriguing lineup. Possibly, if we're considering that, you know the team's not gonna have a center out there that'd be interesting I, I like Alec Burks I like that he can be aggressive I think he maybe needs to rein it in just a little bit we're seeing the shot selection look a little wild at times but what he brings is number one he can guard uh he, we can see we've seen him guard ones twos threes but he can guard different positions and number two he's just a guy that you trust out there with the basketball for the most part to make the right decision uh I, I'm really liking where these two can fit in both with guys out of the rotation and when guys come back into the lineup, uh, I, I think it's a great trade. I think it's just going to take some time for these guys to kind of fully, you know, find the flow of the offense, which is, again, why this is perfect timing for the All-Star break to be coming up. So uh, I, I like Bojan for sure in terms of being that bona fide six man off the bench. But I think Alec Burks is going to be able to play a legitimate role, uh, you know, kind of commanding the second unit, because that was where, you know, once you lose RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly, who captained that second unit, the Knicks had the, what, the second worst scoring bench in all of basketball. I think the only team that was behind them was the Phoenix Suns, who really don't have anything after KD, uh, Bradley Beal and Devin Booker. So to be right that close to them, what was a little concerning? Well, that's been addressed now. You just have to get your guys healthy. I think I think they'll be they'll be just fine after this break. Now we got Matt Spenley from down in Port St. Lucie, spring training with the Mets. He's oh, double. Wow. He's got a double header today. He was with the Mets today. Now he's with us, relaying some fan questions. Matt, Matt, thank you for the overtime. We appreciate it. What do you have? Of course, guys. You know, I got to do it. A little baseball in the morning, a little basketball in the afternoon. We do it all. All right. So Jeff Rinkson on YouTube is asking, should the Knicks consider a different starting lineup post All-Star break? So... Last night, notwithstanding, because of the DiVincenzo and, and Bogdanovich being out. But the Brunson, DiVincenzo, Hart, Achua, center lineup, Sims or Hartenstein. I was surprised to see with Hartenstein in there, 98 minutes together, plus 10.6 net rating. I was a little surprised because I know that the lack of shooting in the front court um, uh, with those lineups, it can be problematic. So, Ian and then Brendan, I want your thoughts on this. What should the Knicks do with their lineups once they get everyone back healthy? Uh, after the all-star break where where we're still waiting for randall and uh and og status yeah what what should they do i'm sure brendan has thoughts on that but i'm going to talk about what they may do because when we talked to tom thibodeau we asked questions about lineups uh different uh, positions and different pairings he always says he, he's considering everything everything is on the table but when you look at that starting lineup, depending on how long the Knicks are going to have to, uh, how, what kind of a gap they're going to have to bridge between now and when you get a Randall or an, an OB back, I, I have to think Tom Thibodeau spent some time this All-Star break looking at uh, Bogdanovich in this, as a starter and seeing what that looks like because you mentioned the shooting. Uh, it's just not there, not there in that starting five with the Knicks being so limited 
uh, by injuries. You have Josh Hart out there and Precious Achua and the center, and there's just not a ton of shooting. So I, I would have to assume he's at least thinking about it, looking at how it might uh, play out on the floor as the Knicks take a little bit of a break here. Well, Brendan, for you, what are your thoughts on the lineups that we've seen, and what would you do if you're if you're looking at this thing? How would you start the second half of the year? I'm not concerned about the lineups before Ananobi and Randall get back. I mean, I think they're kind of looking at that game by game. Uh, what's the best possibility? Does Hart need to be in this starting lineup for defense because of what the other team has? Uh, you could see Bogdanovich going in there. I think Burks will generally play off the bench because he can play back up um, point guard minutes or wing minutes for you. But when the whole thing gets back together again, I'm staying with those same five guys in the starting lineup. DiVincenzo shoots threes well. Ananobi's at a very solid number. Brunson's at a good number. You know, Randall is the linchpin there with three-point shooting at 31%. But that group played so well together for an extended period of time, I'm leaving them alone. Now, if you're telling me that Mitchell Robinson drops out of the sky and appears – then I guess he would just go into a chew his minutes. But I'm not even putting him back in the starting lineup. I'm not messing with that starting lineup. That starting lineup is staying the same until someone proves me otherwise. I mean, you go 14-2, and two, you go 4-2 and two against the best teams in there. No, just let them be there. Uh, with Mitch, you got to worry if he does come back about what kind of condition he's in, how long is it going to take to get him in condition. So I'd rather have him doing that four or five, six minutes at a time than playing anything like starters minutes. So um, I just think the nine guys are the nine guys. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are excited about McBride and his shooting is starting to tail off a little bit. But no, you have the nine guys, then you need them to gel however you're going to do it. I think that's why when you look at the buyout market, right, you're not going to get uh, somebody who is looking for playing time on the buyout market if you're the Knicks because you can't guarantee any player minutes uh, beyond you know when Randall and Ananobi come back, if and when they do come back. There's no way you could say to a player, hey, look, you're going to be in our rotation through the playoffs, come with us. So I, I think that's why it's been a little bit quiet on the buyout market. I mentioned it a couple of days ago. I think with these open roster spots, the Knicks will at least consider – uh, bringing guys up from Westchester as a kind of a, a, a reward, excuse me, um, for the work that they've done with Westchester. I mean, we get them an NBA deal uh, because they do have to fill uh, one of those spots coming up uh, shortly here. And so I think one of the things you look at, though, is Hartenstein and, and that injury. To me, the Achilles has limited him uh, twice already, two separate occasions and last year. So, you know, if there's concern there, uh, maybe you change your thinking a little bit about, you know, having everything kind of set in stone versus going after somebody. But until you get to that point, I think they would have a tough time getting a big name uh, on that buyout market. But let's go now from buyouts to stargazing. One of the uh, staples of our show, because we all think the Knicks eventually will make another big play for a big name player. And I think that, you know, kind of goes without saying, but I, I want to say it because I don't think it's been set enough. In a perfect world, Mikhail Bridges, I think, would be like 
uh, somebody that they seriously, seriously went after. If if you could go out and get him, just because of for many reasons, uh, his fit, his relationship with the guys, more so his fit and his talent. Uh, I think that he would be, you know, right up there with with any other player you want to throw out there in terms of who they would uh, be aggressive on. The problem there is the Nets not dealing with the Knicks. I don't think that's going to happen, at least not with this net current net regime. You know, other people mentioned it. They have turned down offers for bridges that included four first-round picks, included four first-rounders, and they've turned those offers down. So, you know, do they get to a different place where they're more willing to listen? Maybe. But even if you get there and you're Sean Marks and that's you're not sending bridges to New York. So uh, I would rule that out, although I think it would be kind of a dream scenario for a lot of people over there. LeBron James, there's been noise around LeBron to me for the Knicks. Doesn't make sense unless, you know, it's Anthony Davis and LeBron, because I don't think LeBron <laughs> does enough for you at the moment to have it make sense. But I, I do know that with all the noise reporting from ESPN about uh, Golden State and Los Angeles, you know, I was told that, you know, previously the, the Lakers had said that they would work with LeBron if it became clear that it was uh, best for both player and team. To find a new situation, they would work with LeBron to figure out a, a spot that he is comfortable in, that he wants to be in. So I don't think we're there yet, but it's just something to, to keep in the back of your mind if we do get there this offseason. And for the Knicks, so much is going to depend on what happens this postseason when you talk about both internally for them, but then externally who they can go after or might have a chance on. And I know, um, you know, Anthony Davis nobody is kind of mentioning him but i do think if the lakers sputter there he's under contract for a few more seasons but i just wonder if there's some uh some i guess uh, if he gets upset and he starts to kind of internally uh, cause some uh some uprisings in that organization if it doesn't go well uh so but you have to look at the playoffs right because we don't know anything until these teams do what they're going to do in the postseason. And uh, so we'll see. We are TBD there. Uh, but as we continue to look at this year in the here and now, we are going to get to the Eastern Conference, Brendan Brown, because we know the Knicks fourth place, uh, several games behind Cleveland. They lost some ground there, losing four straight uh, going into the break. How do you see this thing in the East? Let's take Boston out of it. Where do the Knicks fall within those next three to four good teams? Are you looking at the Bucks, Knicks, Cavs, Sixers? Uh, Brendan, where do you see this Knicks team in that group? Well, it's kind of interesting. If, if you watch the games every night like I do on League Pass, I follow Cleveland really closely because I have a niece that grew up in Cleveland. So her and I talk about them all the time, and they just went on as good a run without Mobley, without Garland, as the Knicks did, you know, during their 14-2. and two. The Cavs are actually 14-1. and one. Uh, The last two games at Cleveland are a little disconcerting. Uh, Philadelphia went in there, played a real quick and athletic game, and scored uh, at will at different points in the game, and then Cleveland barely beat a very hard-playing Chicago team. I think there's a little bit of a get-to-know-each-other type of thing going on with Mobley and Garland being back in the rotation. They've been on minutes restrictions. But uh, Cleveland, in the grand scheme of things, they have a middle-of-the-road strength of schedule the rest of the way. As a matter of fact, in the month of February, Cleveland has the easiest schedule in the league. So even when we come out of the All-Star break, 
Uh, Cleveland's going to be playing some bad teams. Milwaukee is the team that you have to keep a pulse on. And, and they beat Denver one night, and they turn around, and they were god-awful against Miami. I mean, the game was like a joke at times. And they have the third hardest schedule left in the NBA. So Doc Rivers comes into the situation. They're three and six going into their game tonight at Memphis. And they really have a lot of work to do getting to know him. They have a very difficult schedule. Right now, Ian, the difference between Cleveland, Milwaukee, New York, and Philadelphia is their record against the West. And the Knicks are just 11 and 10 in that situation. Uh, they have nine games left against the West, including a West Coast trip where they have to go out there. Cleveland is 12 and 6. Milwaukee's 10 and 7. So they have better team, uh, better records against the West, but Milwaukee has to play 13 more games against the West. So when you're trying to figure this out and break it down, what they do against the West and how much they have to play in Western cities can be a big swing thing here because you figure Cleveland and New York, who are playing the absolute best the last five, six weeks in the Eastern Conference, those two teams are playing better in Boston. Like, if they can regain their form, you know, they can keep staying in the higher seeds. So what is Milwaukee going to do? And then when is Embiid, if he is coming back, coming back for Philadelphia? Yeah, a lot of elements that are up in the air there. Christian, for you, when this thing shakes out and we're mid-April, where are the Knicks going to be in the East among those teams that we're talking about? I think that largely depends on when the Knicks get some guys back, right? If you're just looking at the schedule coming up, you got Philly, Boston right out of the gate out of the All-Star break. You've got to play Philly three times between now and March 15th. And in that span, you've still got Golden State, Cleveland, Atlanta, Orlando. I mean, this is not an, an easy stretch for the Knicks uh, if they were healthy, let alone down bodies right now. Um, so I, I, it's looking like, you know, where they are right now, fourth Philly, you know, if Joel Embiid isn't going to be able to come back, that could be interesting in terms of fourth and fifth. Um, I like them right now where they are fourth. Uh, but if you're not, if you're telling me that Julius Randle is coming back and he's maybe a reduced version of himself, remember Julius to injure his right shoulder. I mean, that's a guy who likes to throw that shoulder into other people. So if he can't do that with confidence right now, how is he going to look when he comes back, right? OG, you know, how long is it going to take for him to be able to shoot the ball with confidence after getting surgery on his elbow? There's a lot of variables here. We got, you know, Mitchell Robinson returning to on-court activities. Just how much can he handle, you know, without putting himself at risk? And Hartenstein's issue is recurring, right? So there's a lot of variables at play here. Yes, you still got Jalen Brunson, Dante DiVincenzo in these games. He's been on a heater, but these are tough games coming up for the Knicks. I mean, it's not going to be easy for them to stay in the top four. Can they do it? I think so. Yeah. Health, health, and health is kind of where it's going to where it's gonna shake out. Yeah, Brendan, what's up? Uh, on that topic, the Knicks have 27 games left. 16 are against plus 500s. 11 are against sub 500s. We know they're 22 and 2 against sub 500s. That means they're 11 and 20 against plus 500s. And this is where the measuring stick must lead. I'm around people where I live out here in suburban New Jersey. Like, we're going to the finals and everything else. So you're 11 and 20 against plus 500s. So let's just get the group together and then truly see what they can do. The second thing on that, we're not talking about Miami at all. They're not very far behind, and they have the third easiest schedule left in the second half of the season. Tough. 
Lurking, lurking, the heater always lurking. Well, I thank you guys very much for your time. Christian Winfield, New York Daily News, Brendan Brown, three decades of NBA experience, broadcaster, scout, coach. Appreciate you guys sharing your insights with us. And we will be back Wednesday, February 28th. We're doing a little bit of an all-star break ourselves. So we'll be back, we'll be back then, but be sure to check out Honda Sports Night every night because we'll be on top of the latest with the Knicks there. Thank you for joining us, everybody, and we will see you soon.